This message is called His Beautiful Feet. And, you know, in reading the scripture that uh, Krista just mentioned in Romans 10, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now let's, if you've heard that scripture as you've been growing up in your Christian faith, I want you to sort of expand your understanding and that's basically where we're headed with this today. So I'm giving a little away, maybe too quickly, but I want you to begin meditating on this. That that isn't merely talking about your feet. That is talking about a set of feet that are so much more grand and so much more beautiful than you can comprehend. And the ironic thing is, the one part of the human body that no one would ever think of calling beautiful is what is being mentioned here. So we usually just look past that smile, smirk, you know, keep it to ourselves because it seems a little irreverent to mention the fact that it seems odd that God is saying how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Not how beautiful is the smile of those who bring good news, the heart. You know, I mean, it would even make more sense to say how beautiful are the earlobes of those who bring good news. But feet are the one part of the body that we would least expect. And I am going to make a case for the fact of how beautiful are the feet of him who brought the good news. Because we're not just talking about those that are the messengers, the sent ones. We start with the foundational one. The second or the last Adam, the second man. This is the one who has demonstrated to all the universe the good news. And we should proclaim as the body of Christ how beautiful are his feet. Now you may not understand why yet, but that's the point of this message. How beautiful are his feet. The beautiful feet of King Jesus. So this is just a few raw materials. Romans 10, 15, and then... In Revelation, you'll see two different references here. Revelation 1.15 and 2.18. And so they're connected with a dot, dot, dot. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His feet are like fine brass. Now, the word brass is not necessarily the best way for you to understand it. It's, it would be bronze, but it would be more than bronze, the, the term that is used here in the Greek. It would be bronze in the midst of fire, which would be burnished bronze. It would be like bright white because it is so hot. And it is beautiful. You see, brass or this bronze or this burnished bronze is what is used for armory. It is a symbol of strength. And when you have bronze upon your feet, it is an incredible statement to the Jewish culture. Okay, so just to prepare you, we are clarifying in Revelation, John is seeing something and he makes mention of it. And that mention means very little to us. The fact that the feet of Jesus Christ are in a flame of fire, just like it was in Ezekiel. And then now in Revelation, John testifies to the saying that the living God has feet in fire and when he sees them, they are feet of burnished bronze. And then he repeats it again. They were burnished bronze. Let's go back to Genesis 3, right in the beginning of the gospel message. 
So at the very advent of the gospel, you see this statement. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God is speaking to the serpent. The serpent who has so cunningly come in and caused the failure of man and a rebellion to enter into man and sin to literally enter into man. The first response of God is to proclaim the solution. He has one that will come. And this one that will come will bruise the head of the serpent. Or my favorite translation, crush the head of the serpent. Come on. Bruise doesn't have the same victory sound and triumph and reverberation through the soul as crush, annihilate the head or the authority of that serpent. And what will he do it with? He will do it with his heel. One of my favorite scenes. I mean, literally, I was shook to the core when I saw the movie The Passion. And Jesus stands up and smashes the head of the serpent. I mean, literally, it took the breath out of my body because I knew exactly what it was saying. It was a brilliant picture because that is exactly what happened. Those feet of burnished bronze crushed the head of the serpent. Okay, so this is just some raw material. When we're dealing with feet, I want you to realize that in the American culture, feet don't mean that much to us. They're just things that you cover up and you hide. Okay, unless you're Mike Hahn and you whip them out for everyone to see every now and then. <laughs> My kids love Mike's feet. It's, it's, it's a deep story. You know, it takes a little backstory with it. But, so there are the exceptions uh, to the rule. So thanks, Mike, for those feet. Uh, how beautiful are Mike Hahn's feet, too? Uh, okay, let's go through just uh, to lay out a framework in Scripture. Originally... I was going to make this the message. I was going to go through all of Scripture and show how Jesus' feet are used. In other words, we as the saints of God need to find our place at the feet of Jesus. Everything seems to end up needing to go to the feet of Jesus. And the feet of Jesus are repeated over and over again. It sounds strange that God is going to mention the feet of Jesus. Okay, feet are for some reason a very important part of a Hebrew understanding. But every body part is. You know that God designed the human body? And it's a testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually donned the very same human body. But everything about it, you know, in the Hebrew consecration process where they smeared blood on the right ear and the right thumb and the right big toe, they're picking very strategic things. The head is symbolic of something. The hand is very symbolic of something. And the feet are symbolic of something. The term aharit in Proverbs is the backside. And it means the backside of a matter. In other words, you can't see your backside. And so when you're making decisions and you don't realize what will follow it, you don't see the backside of the matter, and therefore the backside of this matter is death. You keep walking in this direction, and your backside will soon find out because you can't see it. The human body is, is put together in a certain way that it was, became part of the language of the Hebrews. And the feet, strangely enough, are very symbolic of something, and I'm going to go into that. But it's no accident in Psalm 22 when it says they pierced my hands and my feet, because those hands are very critical, and those feet are very important. And they put a crown of thorns upon the head. It was the ultimate mockery of the authority of our God 
The most shameful thing that could ever be done to a man was done to our Jesus. When David was condemning men to death, the men that killed Ishbosheth, the, the king or the descendant that, was, that had the throne in Israel, and which ironically created the avenue for him to take the throne of both Judah and Israel. So David, instead of looking at it as a positive, said this was despicable. He took the two men and he cut off their hands and their feet and hung them over the pool. That is an actual defamation of a man. And to think that Jesus was hung naked with his hands and his feet pierced and a crown of thorns mocking him, saying, you call yourself the king of the Jews. This was the king of the Jews. It's the king of the entire universe. And one day he will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, I took out the scripture, actual, you know, because I was going to read through the scriptures, but I shortened this because it would have taken way too long to go through this. But I would love for you to consider studying these. These, these notes will actually be available online, so you can go through this in greater depth. But it's the place of listening. You go to the feet of Jesus and you listen. Mary of Bethany, that's where she was when she was listening. And Jesus said she has made the better choice here. Instead of bustling around and attempting to do work for Jesus, you come to his feet and you listen to what? His word. It's, an, it's the place of petition. That is where men and women would fall and they would beg of Jesus to heal them or to heal someone they knew. They went to his feet. It's the place of healing. So many people would go to his feet and be raised up. In fact, the, it says that the, uh, the sick and the dying were brought and laid at his feet and he healed them all. It's the place of peace and deliverance. This insane man is set free and delivered by Jesus Christ and he sat in a sound mind at the feet of Jesus. These things are not accidental. I'm saying there is a feat that we are to understand, and these are very, very powerful feet. And they are the feet of the gospel, the good news. And the good news is realized at these feet. It is the place of super-conquering authority, which I will be going into very soon. But all things are placed beneath Christ's feet. His feet is the place of thanksgiving. So many people, one of the great lines of scripture, I wish I just should have kept these in. It would have been easier. I could have just read through them very quickly. But they literally fell at his feet and gave him thanks. It's the place of worship. Where people would fall at his feet. In fact, the best definition for worship, the word in the Greek is to fall at the feet and lick the feet like a dog. That is worship. It is understanding the value and the authority and the beauty and the majesty of the one you fall down before. And so when you come to the feet of Jesus, you come there to worship him. It's the place of remembrance of the great gospel work. Remember what Jesus did? He came to his, God, his, his disciples with his hands and his feet so they could see the testimony of what had been done. His feet that were mocked are now the testimony of his great gospel message. And he keeps the scars in them as a forever testimony against the rebels. 
I want to focus very specifically on Mary of Bethany because Mary of Bethany is no small character in Scripture. It's very interesting, but Mary of Bethany, since, since there are multiple Marys, we can oftentimes get confused. And since there are at least two women that dumped uh, oil and ointment on Jesus, on his head and then on his feet, it can be very confusing to try and figure out what is who and who is what. And so oftentimes we lose the value of who Mary of Bethany is. But Mary of Bethany, three different times in Scripture, is found at the feet of Jesus Christ. Three different times. And Mary of Bethany is hallmarked by Jesus Christ himself. And she says, what this woman has done to me should always be told when the gospel is presented. What did this woman do? What is so significant about this woman? Well, in the bigger picture, one thing that is very clear about Mary of Bethany is she was always abiding at the feet of Jesus. And time and time again, when she was at the feet of Jesus, you know that accusations would come against her. And you know that she never opened her mouth in her own defense. And Jesus literally stood up and said, what this woman has done. And she silenced the voice of the accuser. And when Martha came to her and says, why isn't she working like I am? Jesus defended her. You remain at the feet of Jesus. Jesus speaks for you. This is where you're supposed to be, at his feet. So let's look at Mary of Bethany. The first story, hearing his word. She demonstrates three very distinct things. Hearing his word. She went to his feet and she listened. And she heard his word. And this was the foundation. In chronological order, this is how it starts. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, meaning Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which is Mary of Bethany, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. There are two ways of going about this life. One is as Martha, bustling about. We're trying to please Jesus. We want to do these things for Jesus. Of course, if he's in your house, what do you want to do? You want to take care of him. Well, he is come to your house. If you're a Christian, that's the very picture of it. He has come to your house, and you are to show him hospitality. He says, you want to show me hospitality? Sit at my feet and hear my word. It's not the bustling about. Mary of Bethany changed the world. Her life and her testimony is literally to be included with the gospel. What she did was the better part. But it doesn't necessarily make total sense to us. When we were building Ellerslie, one of the number one things we kept repeating was we must choose the better part. Because there's a lot that needs to be done. And we're going to be housing and being hospitable to Jesus Christ here. The very presence of God. May we not forsake the listening. May we not forsake being at his feet and allowing him to speak his word to us, to grow us up, to mature the life of Christ within us. May we not just be encumbered with much serving and bustle about. May we be still and learn what Mary learned. Crying out for his life. 
Jesus is the only one that has life. He is, and this is his own words, he is the resurrection and the life. He has what every single one of us needs. Let's read this story, because again, Mary is at his feet. Jesus is, has said that the, the sickness that Lazarus has will not end in death. The problem is he left town. Lazarus dies, and now when Jesus returns, he's been in the tomb for four days. And when she had said so, she went away, went her way, that's talking about Martha, and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, the master is come. And calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Mary, three times in Scripture, is falling down at the feet of Jesus. This time, it was for a very specific reason. Her, her brother was dead, and the one who could bring life wasn't there. And so she is pleading. She is desperate. Her brother has died, and she knows that the giver of life is before her. And where does she go? She goes to his feet. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. This is a profound picture of a woman who knows the importance of the feet of Jesus. And she has a need. She has a need for life. And the giver of life is before her. And she knows where to go to get that life. And it's at the feet. She goes to the feet and she cries out to the giver of life. And look at the giver of life. Look at his response. He is troubled in his spirit. He has moved the deepest part of his being. And it says that he wept. Oftentimes, Jesus wept is known as the shortest verse in the Bible, but it is almost like it is picked out and just set there to say, do you see this? Jesus wept. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and yet he was moved by the infirmity of men. He was moved to know what they go through within themselves, the crying out, the anguish, and to know that this is for a greater glory, but she trusts him. She is at his feet, the one place that she knew she must go, to the feet of Jesus Christ. And Jesus weeps, and then only seconds later, he says, roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. That is an amazing statement. It's at the feet of Jesus that stones are rolled away from tombs. And the commanding presence of Jesus Christ ushers forth Lazarus. There are dead places inside of each of us, places that need the life of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you straight out that the example of Mary is the example for you. You come to the feet of Jesus and let your groaning be heard and let the Spirit make intercession for you and translate your groaning to the throne room of heaven. He will understand it, and he will be moved by it. 
giving everything up. She has sat at his feet and she has heard his word. As a result of this, she knows that he is the giver of life. She knows it. What does the word provide? It provides a rock. It provides a certitude. It provides an assurance. When you build your life on the rock, when you sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word, you know who he is. You know what he's capable of. And now he has demonstrated in the natural realm and he has rolled away a stone and brought life. In her life, it has brought life. She has seen it. She didn't just hear the word. Now she has seen the demonstration of the word on planet earth. And now, what does she do? Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. What a scene. There's a demonstration of life in our very midst. If you have any demonstration of life within the house of God, if you have any demonstration of life, if God has taken you as a lifeless branch and has started to create budding, if there is any limberness to that branch, if there is any life whatsoever, you have it. And when Jesus comes in and sits at the table with you in your very being, then here's your scene. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. The term right there where you see ointment of spikenard, it's always translated just spikenard, which is a very, very costly ointment. Beautiful fragrance. But in the Greek, it actually has the word pastikos adjoined to it. It's just not translated in the text. But it's pastikos spikenard or spikenard pastikos, which means the object of her confidence, the object of her faith. She took the thing that would distract her from leaning everything upon Jesus Christ. Because there are things in each of our lives, they are worth a year's wages in a different uh, gospel version of this. Worth a year's wages. And there are things in our life that we put our confidence in and that we keep on the shelf and we say, as long as that's there, I know I'm secure for a rainy day. And the result within Mary, what is the result of having life, of seeing life, of partaking of life? She takes the most costly thing she has off the shelf. The thing that she had confidence in and she knew she could always lean on that if necessary. And she takes it and she breaks it on Jesus. She breaks it all on Jesus. Is this just a side story in scripture? This is a central story in scripture because Jesus in the version in in Mark says this, verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. That's why it is spoken. It's because it is central. It is the gospel. What she did is the response of a person that has been sitting at the feet of Jesus. They are moved. They see life after hearing the word of life. They then see it. It begins to be demonstrated in them. And the natural result is to break open everything upon those very feet. 
she is at the feet of Jesus three times. And each time in succession, you see the formation of a Christian. You see the formation of the bride of Christ, the adoring, worshipful bride of Christ that pours out everything. And where do they pour it? On the feet of Jesus. You ever heard that statement of taking our crowns and throwing them at the feet of Jesus? Why the feet? Why the feet? Not, why doesn't he just hold up his arm and we like try and play a game and get him, you know, the crowns to land on his arm? Because you know the, the right arm of God is, a, is an incredible symbol in scripture. That would be a great place to put those crowns. But the feet, why the feet? Why are we always throwing things at the feet? Feet, the place of dominion. The feet are a statement of all power and all control, all majesty, all authority, and all dominion. Whatever is under the feet means that you are on top of it. You have authority over it. And if you have a foot on top of it, if your feet are over it, then that means that you have conquered it. That's the symbol. And so let's go through the three places in Scripture that establish this theme before the Jewish people. Every place, every place where on the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river and the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you, tread upon. It's under the feet of the Israelites. God says, take the land. This is after 40 years, and they are now going to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. And when they go, God says... You see those feet of yours? Anything that you tread on in faith, you step forth and you say, God gave me this. It comes under the feet. And when it's under the feet, that means it's conquered territory. All things. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. All things. That is no small statement. Jesus just isn't over a few things. He is over all things. All things and all things that pertain to you. He is over all those things. And thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Not every knee has bowed but it is all put under subjection. All of it was accomplished on the cross. What the enemy thought was a destruction of that power and that authority was the amplification of it. It was the establishment of it. And now all things are under the feet of Jesus Christ. All things. But in this natural realm, not all things have been revealed to be under it yet. And soon it will be. But God starts in his saints. And he says, in the church of God, you demonstrate the coming reality that all things are under me. And so we declare in our own life the kingship, the authority, the triumph, and the conquering presence of Almighty God. Because he has all things in our life under his feet. There is nothing that dares within our life to rear its head and defy the living God. All things are conquered within a believer. That is the progression of God. 
It's a divine conqueror of the life of a believer because he loves us and he wants to bring us life and he wants to bring us everything of heaven to earth inside of us. Over all the power of the enemy, thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. And then look at the New Testament. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Who said that? That was Jesus. That was the one of beautiful feet that said those words to the ones whose feet he would make beautiful. All things are under and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We do not hesitate in our walk as Christians to realize that we are not just bearers of our feeble feet that have no authority, and they can claim no territory in this earth. We are to become the body of Christ, so that our feet are not our feet. Our feet become beautiful feet. Our feet become feet of burnished bronze. That is the gospel. We take on his body. It is no longer our hands. It is his hands. It is no longer our feet. They become his feet. It is no longer our mind. It becomes the mind of Christ. It is no longer a heart of stone, but it is God's very heart that beats within us. We become his very body. The making of beautiful feet. Suddenly this scene takes on a whole new luster. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon, Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and sat down again, he said unto them, do know ye not what I have done to you. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Feet. Jesus took the lowest place. The lowest place is at the feet. It's a place of great humility. For us to come to the feet is acknowledging his supremacy. For Jesus coming to our feet is to say that he is coming under to serve and to wash and to give us life. He literally came down and washed our feet. The condescension of such a statement is so extreme that a good Jew could not handle that. It is is beyond belief that the God of the universe would come to our feet. He has no business being there, and you see it even in Peter's response. No, no, you do not wash my feet. Unless I wash your feet, you have none of this. All that I've come to give you comes by me coming down and taking care of those feet of yours and making them clean so that they can become the feet of God on this earth with all authority to trample upon the enemy. You have been given something. These feet of Jesus 
are in a blazing furnace of fire. And when you come to it, it changes you. When you come to the feet of Jesus, it burns away self. It burns away flesh. And all it leaves is the pure heart of God. It takes away everything that is not of him. And he builds you into a replica, if you will, of his very strength, his very might, his very love on planet Earth. I really like this statement. Shoes of iron and brass. The other way you could say it is shoes of iron and burnished bronze. Because look at your feet. You don't have the right footing. You don't have the right shoes. Your feet are not that appropriate for the job. In the Ephesians 6, Paul goes out of his way to talk about the fact that there is armor for the feet. But what he gives us for that armor isn't that impressive to us. Let's just acknowledge it. Out of all the things, if you could take all the armor and you could maybe give up one of the pieces, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, you know what, God, no offense, that's not that impressive, okay? And it doesn't make a lot of sense, too. If you're going to have the gospel of peace, why are you sticking it down on the feet? Okay, wouldn't it make a little more sense to, like, have some type of mouth armor? You know, it's like, and guard your mouth with the gospel of peace. You know, it just, it makes a little more sense. Or the hearts, you know, maybe the breastplate could be, because then it would flow out of the hearts of men, the gospel of peace. It's because we don't know what gospel of peace means because it sounds like some weak thing. Peace is the absolute annihilation and removal of all enemy faction. It is a statement of dominion. It is a statement of conquering. Peace means that something has been conquered. There is no more voice in the midst of that land crying up and defying the authority. They have stamped out. It is a gospel of the conquered, the conquering, super-conquering authority of Jesus Christ. There is peace that comes because there is no enemy that can stand against what God has assigned you. There is nothing that can hinder, nothing. And he has given you his feet. So I'll show you where the shoes of iron and brass come from. Romans 16, and the God of peace You know, it sounds like some nice, calm God, the God of, you know, no ruffles, the God of peace, the super conquering God that has put all things under his feet shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Your feet. Now he's saying your feet will be doing this. He is giving us his own feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. When you take peace and grace and make them a nice sappy concept in the church, That scripture is a very funny one, okay? Because you have the God of peace, but he's going to bruise or crush Satan under your feet shortly, okay? It's like, oh, you're so nice. (laughs) Okay, this is uh, speaking to Asher. This is the blessing that God gave to Asher, the tribe of Asher. Let him dip his foot in oil. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. I really like that. Basically, it's a foreshadow. Your shoes shall be the very shoes of Jesus. He takes off his feet and sticks them on ours as shoes. We shod our feet with what? The gospel of peace, which is no small thing. It is a triumph. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what you see is I took out with the dot, dot, dots, all the other armor, because I want you to focus on this. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let God prepare you for the gospel of triumph. For the gospel that will literally set men and women free from every faction, every enemy device within their life. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of every stronghold. There is nothing that can stand against the authority of our king. Song of songs, not the place you're expecting to have a foreshadow. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. Speaking to the bride of Christ, it's not how beautiful are your feet, it's how beautiful are your feet with shoes, shoes of iron and brass. The bride of Christ, you know, all feminine, right? Shod, her feet are shod with shoes of iron and brass, all authority. And the same words that are used in the New Testament to talk about the messengers of the gospel of peace. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I wanted to read you one more scripture that isn't on the list. Listen to 2 Samuel 22. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. What was under his feet? Darkness conquered it. He maketh my feet like hind's feet, and setteth me upon my high places. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. And I have consumed them and wounded them that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. The body of Christ is limping today. We don't walk with the gait of the conqueror. We don't walk with the strength of what our gospel represents. That is the power of God unto salvation. And you need the living God to somehow transform you, to stick what is necessary upon your feet to give you the gate of the triumphant. I call it the swagger of the freshly anointed, the foot dipped in oil, the unction of the spirit of God upon these feet so that you walk in your life and in this world with an understanding that all things are under your God's feet. Where do you get it? You get it at his feet. Pull a Mary of Bethany. I want each of us to get at the feet of Jesus Christ. To go to those feet, cling to those feet, and to recognize that at those feet there is a furnace of fire. And that furnace of fire, yes, it won't necessarily feel that good, but the part of you that's not going to enjoy it is the flesh. It's the part of you that needs to get out of the way and be peeled back. He will burn away all the impurity out of your life and set you free to discover all that is there at his feet. 
because there is life to be had. There is a life of worship and being poured out for Jesus Christ. He, he lifts us up and then he shods us. The king of the universe bends his knee and takes our feet, cleans them, and then sticks his shoes of iron and burnished bronze upon them and says, I've sent you out and all things will be under your feet and you will bruise the, the head of Satan. You will crush him. He has nothing on you. You resist him and he will flee. I have given you a conqueror's authority. You will be more than conquerors in this earth because you represent the conqueror. Allow that reality to penetrate your being and to realize there is nothing that stands against God's people. Nothing. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. You are on a mission and your mission is surrounded by the resin of God's grace and nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch Jesus and then when something did touch him, you know what it was? It was him giving up his life. God will ask for your life. He will ask for your body. He will ask for your blood the same way he did the son. And it will be your pleasure. And it will be found at the feet of Jesus. You will look, look up into his face and he'll say, are you ready to be spent? And you'll say anything for you, my beloved. The feet of Jesus is life. There's healing there. There is strength to be had there. And so if you're feeling wobbly, if you're feeling weak, get to the feet of Jesus. Cherish those feet, cling to them, worship him, thank him. Do everything that must be done at the feet of Jesus Christ. Holy Father, bring us to your feet, your beautiful feet. Lord, I pray that whatever you must do to get us from standing in our spiritual walk to bent in our spiritual walk, that we would be down at your feet instead of bustling around serving, that we would be bent, that we would be prostrate, that we would be at your feet hearing your word, begging for your life, and then pouring out our spikenard upon those precious feet. Your feet are beautiful. Your feet are beautiful. We thank you for what you've accomplished. We thank you for the gospel of peace. We thank you for the strength that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every single soul here would taste it and know it. Amen.